Hello, everybody. Very happy to be back here again uh, preaching. There's a bit of an echo. But uh, from the end of uh, May, ooh, more echo now. <coughs> no, less echo, man. Less echo. From the end of May till the uh, end of June, I was in the U.S. I spent a month at um, Asbury Theological Seminary uh, in Kentucky, the leading evangelical Methodist seminary in the U.S. I was a visiting student there 22 years ago, and 20 years before that, uh, Pastor Melvin Huang was there as a student. Since then, Asbury, and really both of us, have grown bigger and better. <laughs> I was at um, Asbury because I had to present an academic paper, but I was also given time to write it. If you had told me 20 years ago that I would be an um, academic, I wouldn't have believed it. My calling was and is to be a pastor. But if you had told me when I was in school that I would be a pastor, I wouldn't have believed that either. I wanted to be a medical doctor. Yes, in secondary school and junior college, I was a triple science student. I did physics, chemistry, biology, and maths. Half of my junior college class became medical doctors. Not me. God had something else in mind for me. What is God's calling for your life? Never too late to find out. So let me try and answer that question today by looking at a familiar passage in the Bible, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. It will be up on the screen and I'll read it out uh, to you. Romans 12, verses 1 to 8. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God? What is good and acceptable and perfect? For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we... Though many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in a proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is the word of God. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. And as we look to your word now, we pray you speak to all our hearts and give us understanding. Amen. So here the Apostle Paul is writing to Christians in the new church at Rome. And what is amazing about Paul is that no matter what passage preachers pick, Paul is always able to make three points. Paul's three points here 
are present your lives as worship. Renew your minds as your transformation and use your gifts as your calling. Firstly, present your lives as your worship. God doesn't want some Christianity that only operates on Sundays. He's not looking for you to sacrifice some animal to Him or give the church big sums of money. God wants us to gladly offer our lives to Him. That is real spiritual worship. Singing worship songs, being in a Sunday service, that is only a tiny part of worship. What is offering our lives to Him? It is living as a Christian every day of the week. And worshipping God with your lives during the week is what will lead you to know God's call for you. Because if you're only worshipping God by singing or just standing while others sing, if you're not willing to live as a Christian every day of the week, I think you're not really open to knowing God's call for you. And many people are not open to knowing God's call for them. Maybe they're afraid that God is going to call them to be a missionary and send them to Timbuktu or Kinshasa. Maybe they're just so comfortable where they are now, they don't want things to change. And I say, no worries. God is not going to force you to do anything you don't want to do or ask you to do something He has not equipped you to do. But if you joyfully respond to God's love, if you respond to God's mercy and grace by offering your lives to Him, by living every day as a Christian, I think that's the first step to knowing what God's call for you is. And I can tell you, God wants the best for you. He said in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. God wants the best for you. So, firstly, present your lives as your worship. Secondly, renew your minds as your transformation. Renew your minds as your transformation. My favorite theologian has written that at the center of genuine Christianity is a mind awake, alert, not content to take a few guidelines, but determined to understand why human life is meant to be lived in one way rather than another. In fact, it is the way of life of this present age, which often involves the real human immaturity. As people simply look at the surrounding culture with all its shallow and silly patterns of behavior and copy it unthinkingly. And that's the real danger in all ages and places, that our surrounding culture squeezes us to conform to it, and the world dictates to us what we can think and do. It is not that culture is bad, but we Christians are called to be counter-cultural, and we must be prepared to see that there is a different way of living in God's kingdom. It says here in verse 2, do not be conformed to the world. And this is, I think, especially important now. As there are many things going on in society that we need to be thinking about more carefully instead of just accepting trends and change. And once your mind is alert and active, 
and open to the possibilities God offers, that's another step in knowing God's calling for you. One of the more uh, mundane things we need to get our minds around is that we are all just members of the same family. They are not supposed to be you know, first-class Christians or second-class Christians. We are all different parts of one body. Today in verses 4 and 5, we read, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ. So we shouldn't think that some Christians are more committed or dedicated than others. We're all supposed to be full-time Christians. We're all supposed to be working in God's kingdom together. We're all supposed to be building up the church together. And to do this, God has already given us different gifts. My third point is, use your gifts as your calling. I should have said Paul's third point is, use your gifts as your calling. Here in verse 6, it says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. All of us have been given spiritual gifts by the Holy Spirit. Here in today's passage, this list of gifts, we can also see that officers are included. The gift of prophecy, for example, is given to someone, maybe with the office of prophet. The gift of teaching is given to one in the office of teacher. It doesn't mean then that if you don't have a gift in that area, you cannot participate or join in. You know? Now, my gift, you may not uh, believe this, my gift is not in martial arts. <coughs> I say this, yes. I say this because yesterday, I attended a Krav Maga training in anti-kidnap and third-party protection. Yes, Krav Maga is the Israeli fighting system developed for their military and security forces. It has real-life applications. I started training last year. So this week, an Israeli expert is in town to conduct training, so I signed up for this course, anti-kidnap and third-party protection. The very title calls you to sign up. But yesterday during the training, my back cramped up during the warm-up. Spend most of the time sitting down or lying down. <laughs> when I was in school, when I was in school, I took up Taekwondo. Got a few belts. Then my lung collapsed. During training, spent two months in hospital. I don't have a gift. I still do it for fun. If you don't have a gift, you can still hold that office. I mean, I can tell you, I've had quite a few teachers who did not have a gift for teaching. That's true. <clears throat> but, but if you are using your gift regularly and faithfully, that is God's calling for you. So the main thing is to find out what your spiritual gifts are. Only when you know what your gifts are can you discover the right office for you. And when you are doing what God calls you to do with your life, when you are using your gifts regularly and faithfully, when you are in the right office, then nothing else will complete you or give you happiness. I tell you that as a pastor. One question you may want to probe today is whether God is calling you to the office of a pastor. Because in the next few years, quite a lot of the current active pastors will retire. And I don't believe that God has not made plans to fill that gap. 
I believe some people just have to realize that God is calling them. And the only reason I feel you one really want to be a Methodist pastor is because you are called. Shouldn't be doing it for any other reason. Shouldn't certainly not be doing it for the money. Now let me tell you my woes. <laughs> I started as a pastor on 1st August 2000. Two weeks after I started work, the chairman of the board of ministry called me up to my church to ask how many years I had worked before starting theological studies. I told him, but I was very curious why he was asking that question. And he said, oh, no, because we are calculating your salary now. <laughs> Two weeks after I started work, they hadn't decided what to pay me. The chairman only was jolted because Track Trinity Annual Conference, our parent company, as you would, Track called him and said, payday is coming up. You have to tell us what to pay Mingshun. That was 22 years ago. We never asked how much we were going to be paid as pastors. God called us and we had to answer his call. The famous missionary in Africa, David Livingston, asked, if a charge from an earthly king, if an earthly king asks you to do something, right? if a charge from an earthly king is an honor, how can a charge from a heavenly king be a sacrifice? It's no sacrifice. And I used to say, I would pay money to be a pastor. It is a great calling. And then I found that for a time, at least, I was paying money to be a pastor, or rather losing money. <coughs> you see, because before ordination, pastors are liable for annual reserve training. And I got called back three times before I was ordained. I was happy to go. I, I loved the military life. I had a great time. But when I got my monthly pay slip, the amount seemed off. So I called Track again. Find out what happened. Track said, Mindef, Ministry of Defense, told them that in my salary as a pastor, I had a $300 component marked transport allowance. And Mindef said, they don't cover a reimbursable allowance, especially since I was in camp for the whole month. I said to Track, but you know the allowance isn't reimbursable. It's a flat grant. Did you tell me that? that? Track said, no other pastor has complained before. <laughs> I said, well, I'm raising the issue now. And please clarify Mindef and tell them about all the other Methodist pastors as well. After that, Mindef paid me and the other pastors and our transport allowance. When I was ordained, I was bolder. And one day I got hold of the track salary scale and I sat down and tried to work out my own salary. I looked at the guidelines, the board ministry guidelines for calculation. I looked at my pay slip and I thought, that's off also. So I called up track again. I asked them, Did you give, uh, no, do you give two increments for national service? They said, yes, of course. I said, my salary is off by two increments. I think you didn't give me my NS increments. I told them, if you didn't give me any increments, you probably didn't give the other male pastors the increments as well. So they said they would check. I was right. It turns out for years, Track did not factor in the increments for national service. They had been underpaying male pastors for years. <laughs> I know how women feel. But for me, at least a few months later, they gave me 
back pay of more than $11,000. And half a dozen other male pastors received back pay. That was a half year's salary for me then. It turns out I was paying money to be a pastor. <laughs> but no harm done. I was absolutely delighted to receive the back pay. But if they had said, there is no mistake, this is your pay, I was perfectly happy with that too. Now all this happened nearly 20 years ago. Since then, I have had other such encounters involving large sums of money. It will take me three days, three nights to tell you everything. <laughs> but I won't say anymore because my dear mentor, a retired pastor familiar to you, will scold me. He has told me repeatedly to keep quiet, especially on a very recent salary issue. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you this to remind you that no Methodist pastor enters the ministry based on salary considerations. I never asked how much I was going to get paid. Never. And even after I started work, Track didn't know how much I was going to get paid. And I settled it in my heart long ago, as it says in Habakkuk, Chapter 3, verses 17 to 18. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Though the fig tree should not blossom, though I do not get what I'm due, I will still serve the Lord gladly. I will rejoice in the Lord. Because as a pastor also, I have been privileged and honoured to serve alongside godly brothers and sisters that I would entrust with my life. Not just my heavenly, eternal life, but my physical life. These guys, I would trust them. I'm really amazed by some of them. And they constantly push me to be a better pastor, to be a better person. So let me show you some of them now. Please would you look at the screen. Having conscientiously gone through the rigors of theological education, the local churches and track board of ministries examination process in confirming the call to ministry, the work of a pastor begins. Almost 300 years after John Wesley's Aldersgate experience in 1738 that sparked the Methodist movement, 
halfway around the globe. The Methodist Church is today one of the largest denominations in Singapore. With the arrival of Bishop Dr. James Mills Tobin and Reverend William Fitzjames Oldham on 7th of February 1885, the planting of Methodism on Singapore soil has taken place not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit of God. But how do we hold fast to the doctrine, spirit and discipline with which the early Methodists first set out? to continue the mission for which God had raised the people called Methodists? For that, men and women need to hear the call of God upon their lives for the ordained ministry of word, sacrament and order and take up that call. All I can say is, it is really the grace of God. And like the Apostle Paul, I would echo that I'm truly unworthy. And I would say that I'm the chief of sinners and why God of all the people in the world chose me. To this day, I think I'm still awed by His grace and His love. And um, I just find that it is really a privilege to be able to serve the Lord. And I thank Him for His grace for calling me into the ministry. I always feel it's a great privilege to serve God because I get to impact lives for eternity, to make a difference for eternity whether it's preaching the gospel so that some people you know hear the news they come to know Jesus for the very first time or for those who are already Christians to disciple them to equip them and yet being able to challenge them with new revelations from God's truth from God's word so that their hearts are stirred they want to realign themselves to God's purposes in their lives now I have the privilege to serve and journey alongside with the youth in the youth ministry and young adults. I'm particularly full, my heart is so full to see how young people grow to love Jesus, not only um, their parents' faith, uh, but their own faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the things I find really rewarding about pastoral ministry is to get front row seats at the Kingdom of God unfolding in the church, in the nation, in society and in the lives of the congregants. I think it's a real sacred privilege for whenever someone in the congregation trusts me enough to open themselves to me, to invite me into their inner life, where I can then help them to discern where God is in their journey. Another thing that I find really rewarding is preaching, and each time I step off the pulpit, I'm just hit by this profound sense of how God still speaks through donkeys even till today. And it's really a feeling that I really can't, I can't find anywhere else. I hope that the 40 years which I've spent as a pastor, as a uh, teacher in the seminary, as somebody who has been actively involved in social outreach uh, programs and so on, I most certainly hope that I have touched life and I have blessed life. Jesus once said that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. You know, I believe these words of Christ are particularly apt for our present situation now. I think most of you would know that in the coming years, we will be facing a shortage of pastors in our annual conference. And unless our people arise and heed this call to be pastors in our annual conference, I'm afraid we may face a leadership crisis. And so therefore, let me challenge all of you to this challenge and to this call to seriously consider serving our Lord in the pastoral ministry. And my last words to all of you who are listening to this call here, 
will be the very words of C.T. Studd, where he says, quote, Only one life, it will soon pass. Only what is done for Christ will last. God bless you. And you may know that in the past, uh, Pastor Anthony was a combat naval diver. That's why he was so comfortable sitting in the water just now. <laughs> so, uh, vocational conversations, you'll find out more about uh, pastoral ministry. And also just to let you know that uh, Trinity Theological College will have an open house at the end of this month on 31st August. And the details are on our website. Um, I want to tell you that there was a movie in 2008 called Hancock, starring Will Smith. Hancock is a superhero in uh, Los Angeles, but he's also a drunkard. He smashes everything, catching criminals. And he's heavily criticized by everybody. And because people don't like him, Hancock acts as if he doesn't care. He doesn't want to be a hero. But his friend, Ray, played by Justin Bateman, his friend says to him, Stop pretending that you do not care. You have a calling. You are a hero, Hancock. You're going to be miserable the rest of your life until you accept that. God called me to be a pastor. And I'm going to be miserable the rest of my life until I accept my calling. What is God's calling for your life? Find out. As you present your lives as your worship, as you renew your minds as your transformation, and as you use your gifts as your calling. Come, let us pray. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit in all of us. Thank you that you are with us, and thank you for the gifts you have given us. Help us, Lord, find out our gifts and use them to build up your kingdom to support your church, to minister to everybody. Use us as your people and help us, Lord, to be more and more like Jesus every day. We pray this in his name. Amen.